Hi, everyone, and welcome to Boost Her, conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. I'm your guest, Nia Mason, and today in our Booster Season 1 finale, Dr. Charlotte Marshall, our Episode 7 Booster, is sitting in the host chair today to ask me a few questions about my personal and career journey thus far. Charlotte asked me the burning question that we received from a number of listeners throughout Season 1 my motivation for creating Booster. We discuss what brought me to this podcast space, what I've learned and enjoyed so far, and the evolution of not just Booster, but myself as your host each week. We dive into my professional experience as an athlete, from high school basketball growing up in Portland, Oregon, to playing overseas in Australia, and the impact it's had on my life, as well as the lessons from basketball that have translated into my professional realm currently as a product marketer for Brand Jordan. Lastly, Charlotte puts me in the hot seat with her version of a lightning round right before we end with the same booster of segment you've seen me bring to every other season one booster. While it's safe to say I enjoy the role of interviewer rather than interviewee, the pleasure of being a guest in the booster club this week is all mine. So, We're at the point in the season where people want to hear from you, Nia. I'd like to start out our conversation today with just asking you, what was your motivation for starting Booster to begin with? We were in a pandemic, so that wasn't (laughs) great. And I was having a really hard time at work with the women I was working with. And when I say really hard time, soul-crushingly hard time. As an athlete, you have your team and you learn through athlete experiences that you don't necessarily have to like your team to want to work well with them. And as an athlete, if you're doing the right things and you're getting the buckets or you're grabbing the rebounds or you're doing things that really contribute to the win, those feelings of dislike, they just sort of wane. Mm -hmm. But at work, if you're doing the right things and you're scoring the buckets and those feelings don't wane. They they, <laughs> they heighten if you're in a toxic yeah. environment. I remember telling my mom, like, I can't gel with this group. I can't, I've done everything. I've done meeting recaps. I've done meeting agendas. I've talked to them separately about their personal lives to let them know that I'm invested in them as people. I cannot click. And my mom was like, I don't know. You know what my mom's like. Uh-huh. <laughs> the truth. <laughs> She was like, I don't know what you're so confused about. They're jealous. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, that can't be it. Cause this was my first real job. And I'm working with people who have years and years of experience in the game. So I'm like, it's not jealousy. It's not jealousy. And she's like, well, when you do something good at work, do they come and say good job? And I was like, no. Ooh. And she's like, okay. Well, when you arm them with what they need to do their job well, do they say thank you? And I was Ooh. like, no. They don't. She was like, you're not going to, because that's not what they want. And your growth and your success is a threat to them. And you being good is a threat to them. And she was like, you have to figure it out. Wow. And that was where this podcast came. Cause I was like, it shouldn't be like this where women, you know, we're a minority in this corporate space and we have a hard enough time dealing with the men. So why do we make it hard on each other? And it's not something that I've experienced in sport. I am friends with a large majority of my former teammates still because 
when you want to win together, that bonds you. And we were in charge of the women's business. There was significant growth potential and we couldn't get it together. And it was so disheartening, Charlotte. I was so sad. And we're in a pandemic. So you have a bad day at work with these women. You can go with happy hour with your friends. I didn't have a outlet where I could sit with women who I knew really got it or really got me and just vent or just be surrounded by that good energy. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to call it my friends <laughs> and I'm going to have conversations that need to be have around women being able to support one another and lift one another up and pull up a chair at the table. Wow. I mean, even the way you walk through the story and shout out to Miss Mason who played no games. She sparked that moment of self-reflection that really encouraged you. It seems like even to look up from the work that you were doing because you were so focused on how do I make this work? And then as you realize, okay, maybe making it work looks like making some moves here. Yeah. Making it work looks like it's not going to work. And where does it work for me elsewhere where my soul doesn't feel crushed every day? And how do I step out of this? And I have such a great network of women. I mean, you were one of the very first that I wanted to chat to and everyone was like, yes, this is needed. We would love to. It was so easy to ask Mm -hmm. people on, which also affirmed that I was doing the right thing for me. What was the process of getting this podcast off the ground? Initially, I was a member of a board that its mission is to encourage young girls to stay in sports. And my friend, who's also a board member, I was like, let's have women on for the board and we'll interview them. And that'll be a good way to encourage girls to stay in sport. We're talking to all these really cool women who've stayed in sport. And it turned out that the platform wasn't the best for a podcast. And my friend was super encouraging. She was like, you should do this though. You should do it yourself. And I was like, no, but okay, we'll think of something else. (laughs) And then I took that away and I was thinking about it and I was like, yeah, I should do it. Yeah. It was a great idea for the board, but this is a great personal idea too. It's something I'm passionate about. So she helped me plan it out a little bit. And you should see it's like this ridiculous 18 page document that has my thoughts scattered or my thoughts really organized and the guest list really scattered or the guest list really organized. I remember I woke up one morning and I was like, okay, if I'm going to do it, I can't keep just saying I'm going to do it. So I called up another friend and I was like, can you just go to the park with me and we just talk it out? And she was like, absolutely. And we sat at the park for three hours and she kept me focused on the direction that the podcast was going to go. And then it was up to me to find guests and record and learn to edit, which the first episode that I edited, it was, yeah, it took me 11 hours. Oh, wow. 11 hours. And I didn't even realize it took 11 hours until 11 hours had passed. And I was like hungry and dehydrated and (laughs) emotional. (laughs) Sounds like people really surrounded you. Yeah. I was cheered you on. From ideation to execution, it was a real embodiment of what I wanted Booster to stand for in terms of women just really being there for one another and being there for me. And that's how I just knew. I was like, we're definitely on the right track. Everything's working out too perfectly for it not to be the right thing. And if they say hindsight's 2020, it's like, yeah, now you're seeing it all lining up. But you did say initially there was a no. There was a no in your own head. And you told yourself, ah. I'm not doing that. What was that about? The date that I planned to launch was not the date that I launched because Mm -hmm. I was like, no, (laughs) 
<laughs> you'll just have to call these people that you've interviewed and say, hey, I'm actually not going to do it. <laughs> I was so afraid to do this because Sandrine was the first person that I officially recorded with. And she's a little bit later, she's in Black History Month, but she was the first. And we were like really vulnerable. And I'm not used to being publicly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time being privately vulnerable. And I was like, no, this is way too far out of my comfort zone. And I remember a friend who knew that this particular date was my, she was like, Hey, (laughs) I don't see the podcast. I was like, yeah, because I'm not doing it. And she's like, okay, I don't have time for this. She was like, you're doing it. We ideated, we've done blah, blah, blah. You're going to do it. It's going to be great. And if it's not great, that's okay too. She was like, but if you impact one listener in a really meaningful way, then this was all worth it. I was like, you have done a lot of work and you have used a lot of people's time and it would almost be disrespectful to not, you know, I had someone draw up the logo. And so I worked with her, my friend, Brittany, and I'm like, you're, (laughs) you made this girl do edit after edit and listen to your half-baked ideas on what you want a logo to look like. And you're not going to do it. You sat with Sandrine for two and a half hours and you're not going to do it. And Shawnee had the flu and she still interviewed with you and you're not going to do it. And so that was kind of what pushed me over the edge was that these women are showing up for you and the least you could do is follow through. And not to mention you drafted a whole 18 page document of your own thoughts. I know. I mean, it's one thing to know for sure you don't want to let other people down, but I think it's interesting that you really put a lot into this behind the scenes. I mean, the 11 hours people will never know, right? That's all work that you put in because you were committed to this mission, to this vision And deep down inside, it sounds like you did believe it could be something. I don't know if you envisioned all that it has become, but there definitely is a spark. Fear is such a terrible inhibitor, isn't it? That was the only thing that I could say was a reason to not do it was that I was scared. That was the only reason. Look, you've organized this so well. You have your guests lined up through March. You have a logo. You have all these tools to put this out and make this great. And the only thing that's stopping you is you're scared. And looking back, I'm like, God, you're so silly. But at the time it was super real. Anything that you would change? I would have figured out how to edit much sooner. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say when you think back on all the different episodes, what were your biggest takeaways from the process and also from season one? From the process, I wish I wasn't so overcritical in those first few episodes. I was really trying to make it fit into this box when really I just wanted it to be natural, authentic, genuine conversation. Mm -hmm. And so from the process, I probably would have not been as critical on what it was I was trying to get out there. From the season, everyone had this piece of advice, but in different stories. And Mm -hmm. The overarching message was know your worth. So like you, your story with the walking away from a tenure track position, the umbrella of all of that was knowing your worth. Koya walked away from a job she really, really wanted to make work, but she knew her worth and knew she had to walk away. Sandrine almost passed out in Grand Central Station. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that helped her realize that her physical health was way more important than exceeding at this job and it helped her realize her worth. And I love that that message has come across in so many different stories across season one, but 
has always gone to the same destination, which is you really have to value yourself within your journey. This whole podcast is evidence of that, right? You're with a megaphone right now, encouraging people to come along on this journey that you're on yourself. And I think that's actually really pretty special. Yeah, I appreciate that. Where I was at my last role, I felt I was deteriorating. And that's usually not something you feel in the moment. It's usually something that you have to step away and realize like, oh my gosh, no, I was feeling it in the moment that I was losing myself. I love who I am and I don't want to lose who I am. And I'm in a position in a place that's making me do that. So I've got to, this podcast. Yeah, you're exactly right. Even just from the first episode to this current episode, you're evolving and Booster's also evolving. So can you tell us a bit about what the evolution of Booster has been like from your perspective? I appreciate you saying that. I feel like as Booster has evolved, I've evolved, or even like as I've evolved, Booster has evolved. I feel like I'm much more comfortable talking to my friends where like the first few episodes, I was like, I've known Shawnee since she was a baby. And I was nervous and I've known Sandrine since we were in college and Nat is one of my best friends and I was nervous to interview them. And it's like, what is going on? You talk to these people all the time, but I was second guessing myself and I've gotten to a place now where I feel really confident asking questions of people that is going to boost the message, boost her. (laughs) That has been an evolution that I didn't see coming. If you would have told me that I'd be conducting these interviews and not skipping a beat or being able to pivot when an answer doesn't go a particular way that I thought it might. I'd be like, well, yeah, maybe not in season one. Do you have a favorite memory from season one so far? Oh gosh. Are you trying to get me in trouble? (laughs) (laughs) The Mother's Day episode was really so much fun. My cousin who I've known since childhood, my childhood friend and Mariah who grew up across the street from us. And then my mom, it's my mom. And I don't see her as a mom. (laughs) I see her as my mom, but not a Mm -hmm. mom. Kelsey and Mariah, I don't see them as moms. I see Kelsey as my favorite partner in crime. And I see Mariah as the young girl that I used to pick on when we were growing up. And so to see them in this different light was so fun for me. And I think that was a fun episode. But I think my favorites have been with my mom because you know what she's like. She's just so unfiltered. And there's sometimes where I have to be like, mom, I can't accomplish that. (laughs) When you're growing up, it's like, oh, my parents don't know anything. My mom doesn't know anything. And as I've like gotten older, it's like, gosh, moms know everything. They really do. She's ready for her next interview. I'm sure of it. Oh, come on. She's (laughs) is local celebrity, Anita Mason. Check out my podcast. (laughs) She's ready for her next interview. Well, I'm happy to hear that you've had some really, really special conversations and moments and have been able to share, you know, a good deal throughout the season thus far. And in the spirit of fun, we reached out and asked some additional people who know you if they had any questions that they would like for you to answer. The first question is, I have known you for almost four years and I'm always inspired by your bravery and courage. Could you touch a bit on this and let the audience know who instilled this in you? Okay. Bravery and courage. The interesting thing about that question is that I don't always feel brave or courageous. I actually rarely feel brave and courageous, but I will say that I remember I took the bus to high school and we were 
high school was downtown and he had to go through a certain part of downtown to get to our high school. And so I would have my book bag and my basketball bag, and maybe I had volleyball practice. So I'd have a volleyball bag or, or just, uh, maybe yeah. I was like going to a friend's house after school. So I had like a overnight, but just looked like a real grifter going to school. <laughs> and, um, and I would get stared at. I mean, I was also 13 and six foot. Mm-hmm. So, I would get stared at and I hated it. And I remember going to my grandma's one day, my grandma lived a two minute walk from us, but was also on the bus line. So sometimes Mm -hmm. I'd get off the bus early and go to her house. And I remember she said, you know, people are going to stare. You're tall, you're dark skinned woman, and you are striking. She was like, your presence, people are going to look when you walk into a room People are going to stare. And the best thing you can do to combat that is you pull your shoulders back and you lift your chin up. You give them your confidence to stare at. And I was like, you have to say that. You're my grandma. (laughs) But when the matriarch of your family, because she made clear to say woman. And when the matriarch of your family at 13, 14 years old acknowledges you as a woman, that kind of makes you feel a little bit different about who you are. And I think her acknowledging that and she said it all the time. I'd walk into a room and she'd be like, you are so striking. Your dark skin is so beautiful. Your height is so beautiful. And she made a point to always say that. And she knew what she was doing. And I think that is why I don't necessarily feel courageous, but it is something that has been instilled in me almost innately that, yeah, when I feel uncomfortable, I'm going to push my shoulders back and I'm going to lift my chin up and I'm going to go about what I was set out to do. I have my grandma to thank for that. My parents, my dad grew up in Watts, you know, during the LA race riots and he's seen all that. And he got his PhD at an older age and to do that with three kids and work a full-time job. And I think he was teaching at Portland state at the time also. And we didn't let that man sleep. We didn't let that man live. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't give him a minute's peace. And he was able to do all these things. And I think that's brave. And I've had that example in the house. And my mom, I mean, her raising three kids and deciding to go into the workforce and doing what she has done in education. I think that's very brave. And you want to talk about not letting someone sleep. So I think there's examples that are very close to me in my life that even though I don't feel like I'm acting so brave or so courageous all the time, I don't know how to act any other way because I've had these examples of it all throughout my life. And my brothers would say the same thing. We can be scared of a certain endeavor or thing, but we have this instilled in us through having such a strong family system that we go after it anyway, and we do our best anyway. I love that. Long-winded way to answer that, but it wasn't just your environment, but it was you know, these adults actively instilling in you just the awareness that, yes, sometimes people are going to stare or yes, it's going to get hard out there. And here's what you do when it happens. Yeah. I mean, I would love to say, oh, I'm so brave and I'm so courageous and I did it on my own. No. When I got invited to go play in Australia, my parents kicked me out the door. I remember I was yes. like, wait, you have to tell the whole story. I love this story. Well, okay. So I just moved home from college. I was super done with basketball at the time because <laughs> of what the grind that D1 basketball is. I didn't want to touch another basketball. I could get really burnt out from basketball, but I always would get right back into it. And after college, I was like, I'm not getting back into this. 
And I moved home and I was just playing rec in this women's rec league. And one of my friends at the time, she was like, you should be playing professionally. And I was like, no, thank you. And she was like, no, I actually just came back from playing in Australia. I loved it. I think you would love it. Can I give your name to some coaches? And I was like, yeah, because if I get a phone call from an Australian number, I can just decline it. So I was like, yeah, yeah, do that. I got a phone call and I think they either Googled me or I can't remember what happened, but they were like, yeah, we want you to come out. And I declined it. So it was a voicemail. And I remember I was sitting at the table eating dinner with my dad and he was like, oh, what'd you do today? And I was like, oh, I got a call from this coach in Australia and they want me to come out. And he was like, oh, that's great. And I was like, yeah, but I'm going to stay here with you guys. You know, I just moved home from school and I want to hang out with you guys more and maybe get a job. He was like, no, I think what you will do is you'll call them back. And if this is actually an opportunity, a good opportunity, go. And he was like, yeah, I think you should call him back. And so I called him back and I took <laughs> told him about it. And I was like, it actually does seem kind of cool. And they're going to pay me this much and they're going to give me a place to live. And they're going to give me a car. And he was like, so when do you have to go? And I was like, whenever I get approved for a visa. And he was like, well, what are you doing right now? Like in this moment? I mean, and I was like offended. I was like, I just moved home. I'm having so much fun being around you guys. Why are you trying to kick me out of the house? What I didn't know at the time is that my dad had an opportunity to go play in Belgium when he was around my age. Mm -hmm. And he passed it up. My parents are like, we'll support you. Do whatever you want within reason. And their within reason is not everybody's within reason, (laughs) but do whatever you want within reason and we'll support you. They allowed for a lot of autonomy. But when he was pushing, I was like, okay, there's a bigger reason he's pushing. And I probably do need to explore this. And I'm so glad he did that because, I mean, it was the best four years of my life. I really had no intention of continuing with basketball. I was dead set. Like, this is it. I'm done. My body hurts. Everything hurts. The wear and tear that D1 basketball puts on your body, I don't think is talked about enough, but I'm just so glad that he was like, you have more in the tank and this is an awesome opportunity. And you went. And I went for four years and I'd have some of the best friendships out of that. One of my best friends over there just had a baby and I've been away from Australia for five years, I think. And I feel like I'm still just as close to them as when I lived over there. I'm just imagining you're like, and if I see a number from Australia, I'll just hit decline. Like I'm not answering. I was like, yeah, send anybody my way because I'm not picking up. And you actually went talk about bravery and courage. And I think the beautiful thing about courage is by its very definition, it requires fear. There has to be something you're afraid of for you to have to be courageous. I mean, I've never lived in a different country I'd never been to a different country. Getting off the plane, I had no idea where I was going. I mean, it was all in English, but I think I got on a bus that took me 40 miles in the wrong direction. So I would like to say I'm so crazy, but I wouldn't even have gone to Australia if it wasn't for my parents. And I wouldn't be able to push my shoulders back and lift my chin up if it wasn't for my grandma. That's special. Shout out to the fam. Another question that was submitted from one of your IG fans. What's a lesson you've learned on the court? that you carry with you through life? There's so many. Everything that I've learned from basketball, I carry through life. That that is your persistence, your work ethic, your grit, your determination. And I carry that with me through life. The main thing I could say that I pulled from basketball specifically, and my dad helped me with this one, having a short-term memory. I had like one of my best games ever. 
stat line was crazy. And I got in the car with my dad and I was like, did you see when I did this? Oh my God. And that's my career high and this and that. And, and he's like, yeah, no, it was great. It was great. And then the next morning I get in the car and I'm like, dad, remember last night when I did yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I do. I was there. And he's like, you know, you'd want to have a short term memory with these things. Yeah. You had a great game last night, but you have practice today. You have another important game tomorrow. What's next? What's next? And I remember I had a game shortly after that and I was atrocious. I think I was like three for 27 from the field and like double digit turnover, just a terrible game. And I got in the car and didn't want to talk to my dad about it. and Didn't want to talk to him about it in the morning and didn't want to talk to him about it the next day either, I think. And he was like, listen, remember what I said about a short-term memory? And he was like, if you're flying too high, you're going to think you're too good to put in the work that requires continuous growth and development. Mm. And if you're flying too low on yourself, you're not going to be in the mood to put in the work required for continuous growth and development. You've got to have a short-term memory. Yes, we can celebrate the great game, the career high game. And yes, we can look at the bad game and where can we grow? What can we do better? But not for a long time, because you want to get back into that baseline space where you are always growing and developing and seeking that growth and development. When he said that, and obviously your parents say something and it's like, oh, (laughs) too soon, soon, dad, too soon. (laughs) Too soon. And like, that's really hard, but you know, it's a skill having a short-term memory with those sort of things. And I think it's really served me as I've moved into professional, you have a bad meeting. Okay. How can I make sure that doesn't happen again? But if you dwell on that bad meeting, your next meeting is going to be bad. And the meeting after that, and the presentation after that. And if you have a really great win, a really great meeting or presentation, you're going to be, I don't need to prepare. I crushed it. I did that. No, you have to take the good and the bad, celebrate it, learn from it. But you have to get back to that space where you're at your best for learning and growing. Man, your parents really parented with intention. They did. I'm super lucky. I wish that I realized younger what they were doing. You couldn't tell younger Nia a damn thing. (laughs) But as I'm getting older, I'm really learning to appreciate some of the things that they told me growing up. Okay. So now we're going to do something a little fun. I was going to call it a lightning round. Put you in the hot seat. Here we go. Listen, I feel like I'm in the hot seat, okay? Oh, no, it can get hotter. (laughs) Start out, you know, with just a little spark, and then we'll turn it up a little. Okay, so first question. It's the end of a long day. You're exhausted. You're emailed out. You're Zoom called out. You're starved, and you're placing an order for food. What's Nia Mason ordering? Yeah, that happens more often than I'd like to admit. <laughs> Nine times out of 10 is Chipotle. Okay. Yeah. What has been the most life-changing book, podcast, article? Okay. Something yeah. I'm across. I like that one by Paulo Coelho, The Alchemist. Mm-hmm. I really love that book and I've read it during different difficult or transitional stages of my life. And I've been able to pull something completely different out of it each time that helps recenter me, bring me back to, you know, getting a new job and your anxiety and your stress is through the roof and you read the book and you remember that this is a path you're supposed to be on. And when you remember that this is where you're supposed to be, there's something calming about that. Mm. And that calming 
sense that comes from that book has shown up in so many different ways. And when you have a particular lens about the stage of life you're in, that you can see a little clearer. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that book will ever get old to me, to be honest. And it's one of my favorites. Definitely a classic. What is one of your professional pet peeves? Oh man, you're really going to get me in trouble. You know, I don't like when people don't say, I don't know. It really bothers me, but then prove through trying to answer something they don't know that they don't know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I don't know. I think it's more annoying to pretend like you do and just confuse everybody. So that really bothers me. And not being able to say I don't know is a major pet peeve for me when you don't know. Hmm. Well, you heard it here. If you don't know, please just say you don't know. Please say you don't know. And I'll find out. I don't know, but I'll find out. That's a Mm. perfectly fine answer. What is something that you wish people knew about you? (laughs) I wish people knew how to pronounce my name. (laughs) Mm. I get a lot of Naya and that doesn't bother me initially because if you're thinking about the American phonetic spelling, it is Naya. My name is an American. And if I say my name and you continue to say Naya, that drives me nuts. So I wish people knew how important it was to me to say my name properly. That's real. Yeah. I don't mind when it's the first meeting and it's Naya, but if I say, oh, it's Nia. And five minutes later you say Naya. Now I'm like, okay, but I told you it was Nia and my name is important. And so that's an important thing to remember if we're going to continue to interact. Mm -hmm. And you were named on purpose. And my name means purpose. (laughs) It's not a little thing at all. It's not. Yeah. And not just for me, but for everyone who's got a kind of a tricky name. Mm -hmm. Put in the work. Get it right, everyone. My mom is the one who maybe instilled this in me. I actually really do dislike it to my core. So it might be my thing. But my mom, I remember I was getting recruited and all these schools call when you hit a certain age, they call your house somehow. I actually don't remember how they would get the house number, (laughs) but a school called for me and the coach was like, hi, can I speak to Naya Mason? And my mom was like, there's no Naya that lives here. Click hangs up on him. And I'm in the other room doing my homework. And I was like, (laughs) mom, you can't like yell at all these people for getting my name wrong. But like, she was even like, no, your name is important. And if these schools are going to come knocking on the door and calling the phone, then they need to do the work to figure out how to pronounce your name. And if they can find out your stats, they can find out how do I pronounce your name? I want to make sure I get it right. Yeah. Cause it was a, my stats. I mean, there was not this real big online database for stats like there is now. And your phone number isn't easy to come by like it is now. And so if you can track down my stats, you can track down my phone number. You can track down how to pronounce my name. And my yeah. mom, I remember being so mad at her, but you know, looking back, I'm like, yeah, she's right. When you think about your own body of work, your career and just the relationships that you're building, how would you describe your legacy? Always looking to level up. I think that's been the trajectory of my life, whether that was intentional or not. I think that has been the trajectory of my life and this trajectory I want to continue is that always finding that next level, that next gear that I can push to. I think that's important for my legacy just because I feel like that's when I'm my best self when I'm looking for that next step, that next area of growth. But for all women, I just think that if we are looking to level up, think about how much better we are making that landscape for the women coming after us. 
it really aligns also with the short-term memory. Yeah. That has its peaks and valleys always looking to the future. You want to stay present, don't you? But if you're always looking to level up, there's a bigger benefit to doing that. And it sounds like you found room for both, right? You can be grateful and happy and content and also plan (laughs) and prepare and strategize and keep it moving. So yeah, this is fantastic. But what's next? Where else can we go? (laughs) There's another game tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. So there are two questions that you've asked all of your guests on each episode of Booster this far in season one. And so I would like to ask you those two questions as well. So the first question is, what has been your career defining moment thus far? And what sort of impact did it have on you? And how do you anticipate it impacting your future? Yeah. You know, shout out to all my boosters to have a whole interview of questions and then have to go into these two kind of hard hit. <laughs> I'm sure it's not easy. I'm feeling like it's not easy, <laughs> but luckily I knew these were coming because I crafted these questions. <laughs> my career defining moment. I think it just recently happened. I was at one corporation and like I told you, I was beating my head against the wall, figuring out how to make it work kind of just losing myself a little bit and mental health, not really at a place where I was comfortable with. So I knew I needed to make a change and I wasn't wholeheartedly looking to make a change or like an intentional change. I just knew I needed to make a change. So the podcast was part one, but getting out of the environment in total was part two. So I'm interviewing and Jordan is on the list of interviews. And I, t- we, you and I talked about this. I was yeah. picking the brain the whole time. Uh-huh. And there was this creative agency that needed a project manager. And so I was interviewing and I had the Jordan interview and got out of it. And they were like, this was so great. Thank you so much for your time. And I was like, okay, yeah, they, <laughs> maybe they have to be overly excited. And then I got out of the second one and I think one of the guys was like, you know, I feel like I can go talk to my team and inspire my team after this interview. And I was like, that is a very nice thing to say. And, you know, they must just really have to pump up their applicants, you know, coming out of the mental space that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And now these people are like, I feel so inspired. I love your story. Thank you so much for making time for us. And I'm like, no, thank you. What do you mean? Thank you guys. Wow. Yeah. So the toll, like, just think about that. People are being nice to you and you're like, can I trust this niceness? I'm looking at them crazy. What do you mean? I inspired you to go pump your team up. What do you mean? This was the best meeting you'll have all day. I'm looking at them like, what do they tell you to say in these interviews to the applicants? (laughs) Wow. Not believing it. And then I get offered. I remember you were like, take a couple of days, think about it. But I think you know what you want to do, but think about it. And so I told them, I was like, can I have a couple of days? And in those couple of days, one of the VPs called me, my potential future boss called me and the conversations were like, here's why we're great. Here's why we're great for you. Here's why we mm-hmm. think it'll be great for us. Now, what can we say that will make you sign mm-hmm. the offer letter? And I'm like, what is going on? Not even believing it. For me, I think that was such a career defining moment because these two interviews were 45 minutes and I did the majority of the talking because that was kind of the format of it. It took two 45 minute interviews for Jordan to see what I spent four years at another corporation begging for them to see 
you know, beating my head against a wall for them to see. And it was such a defining moment for me because it was like, you really went through the trenches. You really went through it. And here is coming out on the other side. Here is a light at the end of the tunnel. And you are good at your job. You're very good at your job. And there are people who are going to recognize that and they're going to want you as an asset to their team because of that. And I was not getting that feeling at all at the other place. And so it was really, I needed that. I needed those interviews. I needed the interaction with the VP. I needed the interaction with my boss pre-hiring to remind me, like, yes, you have spent a lot of time doubting yourself and letting others make you doubt yourself, but you're great. You're good. You're back. You're back. And I'm so glad you took those days because that was hard. I was like, I want to accept right now. You're like, hang on. on." I had no idea that in those two days that would happen. But I do think there was something really beautiful about you, you know, giving them an opportunity to communicate to you their level of investment and commitment and excitement, really. Yeah. I was still looking at the interview process a little sideways. Did I trick them? Did I... (laughs) I'm like rerunning the interview back and I'm like, what did I say? And so when the two gentlemen called, I was like, oh, I said everything right. And that made me feel good. And yeah, it made me feel like I was back. It really reinvigorated what I'm doing professionally. Nia Mason showed up. <laughs> she showed- it sounds like you really showed up and it's amazing what can happen when you do. The second question I have for you is, as you continue learning and growing on your current path, what's one thing you would like to let the younger you know to be prepared for this journey? Okay, I have to be specific about younger me because you couldn't tell Nia 13 to... (laughs) You couldn't tell her anything. I would have told her nothing. I think early to mid-20s, Nia really needed to hear your determination is great and it's going to take you so far, but you can also stop and smell the flowers along the way on your path. I was so determined, tunnel vision level of determined. And that spurred from high school where I knew I had to work my butt off if I was going to get a college scholarship. I can tell you where every gym in Portland is, but I can't tell you a really great restaurant in Portland, or I couldn't back then because I didn't do that. I went to the gyms and I played against other teams. And I was, I was so determined to get a scholarship that was super tunnel vision. And that carried over into college where super tunnel vision, I wanted to graduate with a good GPA. I wanted to do really good for my college team. I wanted to make sure that after college, I could be set up with a job or something I went to college in San Diego and there's so many bits about San Diego that I feel like I missed out on during college that I really wish I would have enjoyed. Like I wish I would have gone to the beach more. I wish I would have done some cool things while I was there, but I was just so focused on the goal. I would have told younger Nia, you can be super focused on the goal and you can also take some time out for yourself to really enjoy the process. You've not just walked the walk you're self-reflective in a way that is very valuable. It's really insightful and helpful. And and it's funny. It's like, yes, you would tell your younger self that, but you're also telling your current version of yourself. 100%. I don't think you should ever stop reminding yourself to enjoy 
the journey. I think that being determined and being super focused, that's good for me. That's really great for me when I'm really focused. Mm -hmm. Letting that focus get in the way of all the outside things that are happening with life and with the world and with your friends and with your family, it can be really detrimental. So be focused, be determined, but also go to that wedding and be there for that baby shower and celebrate that birthday and have fun. Thank you for listening to Boost Her, conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. While this is our last episode of season one as we take a break before ramping up into season two, we will still be highlighting our season one boosters frequently throughout our Instagram. So please be sure to give us a follow at Boost Her Podcast, all one word. Season one has exceeded any expectation I could have had. And for that, I want to take this time to humbly and from the bottom of my heart, thank each and every booster that gave their time to the booster club this season. I've learned so much from each and every one of you, and I'm certainly better for it. I would also like to thank our listeners and followers who have joined us in season one. I've received so many positive messages of support throughout this journey, and I'm eternally grateful for the fuel to continue creating an inspirational platform for you all. Booster is nothing without our subscribers, and my appreciation for you all has no limit. We have some very exciting things and guests planned for Season 2 as Booster continues to grow and evolve, so please like and subscribe so that when the Booster Club opens back up, you'll be of the first to know. And remember, every episode from Season 1 is streaming on your favorite podcast platform for you to revisit when you need that extra boost of inspiration. And for one last time this season, again, thank you for listening to Boost Her, where we will happily pull up a seat at the table for you as a reminder that while individually we may be great, collectively we are magic. <laughs>